I was delighted earlier this week to receive a message from one of you saying, I am excited about the upcoming season of Lent. As we come down the mountain, from the mountain of transfiguration, and begin our journey through these 40 days of Lent, it may be that we're thinking of Lent primarily as something that we have to endure, something to survive, rather than something to enjoy or to grow from. And we will need endurance. Lent is not easy. But we can do better than simply gritting our teeth until Easter. We can even be excited about it, as I know some of you are. For Lent is not only a time of discipline and self-denial, but it's also a time of cleansing and refreshment. It's an opportunity to lighten our loads, to set down things that are encumbering us from our first and common calling to love God and neighbor. Not those far away or fictional neighbors who can do little to cramp our style, but the neighbors around you, among the likes of us, you very far from perfect neighbors. We make Lent part of the liturgical year because there is no perfect time for it. If it weren't on the calendar, few of us would create for ourselves a season of repentance and renewal, of repentance, of renunciation and refreshment. Having Lent as a liturgical season means it's going to happen and that we will go through it together at the same time. The traditional disciplines of Lent, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, come from today's gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 6. They include disciplines of abstinence and reduction, like fasting. They include disciplines of extra effort and devotion, like prayer. And they include those with both additive and subtractive qualities, like almsgiving, by which, by giving more, we reduce our resources and our responsibilities. So Lent is not all about giving things up. When we give up something for Lent, as you've heard me say before, it should be a good gift of God that we enjoy, but that we separate ourselves from for a season so that it doesn't become an idol and to keep ourselves from relying on God's creation more than we rely on God. Giving up gluttony or lying, for example, is not something that we should give up just for Lent. <laughs> we need to give those things up permanently, repeatedly, at all times of year, Lent or otherwise, because they're never right for us to do. Now, if you're looking for a good how-to resource for Lent, there are many. In his Handbook for the Discipline of Lent, Thomas Weitzel has a helpful one with ways to practice almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Many others exist and can explain and suggest Lenten practices that may be appropriate and beneficial 
based on the experience of our forebears in faith. And if you'd like me to help you to use a resource to plan how to implement a Lenten discipline, bring it in and I'd be glad to work with you on that. In today's reading from Isaiah 58, God's people are engaged in what appear to be disciplines of repentance. They strive to obey God by fasting. They repent in the traditional ways and humble themselves before God by donning sackcloth and ashes. And yet, God is not pleased. And the people seem genuinely puzzled. What's going on here? Don't they at least get points for trying? Six years ago, I attended a talk by Father Greg Boyle, founder of Homeboy Industries, which has grown into one of the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, and reentry programs in the world. Father Greg had a simple and striking message, saying, our work is primarily to replace feelings of superiority and separation with communities of kinship. He didn't say anything about crime. He didn't say anything about education or skill development. He said zero about public policy. Father Greg was speaking straight to our sinful nature, the manifestations of which we often don't even recognize as sin. It's entirely natural for us to want to separate ourselves from what we are trying to escape from. Then, when we see sin in others, we can disclaim and denounce it, making ourselves feel relatively righteous and worthwhile. Sometimes we even go a step further and decide <clears throat> that for causing so much trouble in the world, and because they really can't be trusted, those sinners over there, out there, owe us something, giving us the right to take what is theirs. Jesus called attention to this separate and justify tendency of ours in his parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector recorded in Luke chapter 18. The Pharisee begins with a prayer, one of my favorites a prayer of thanksgiving that he is not like other men. His sense of separation and superiority blinded him to his kinship with the tax collector, a kinship of sin, of guilt, and of dependence in which he wanted no part. Unfortunately, that separation also separated him from the God who saves sinners and the only one by whom our, just, our existence may be justified. And so with that background in mind of Jesus' parable, let's look back at Isaiah 58, where God's people are fasting and lying in sackcloth and ashes as a sign of their repentance, and yet God is not happy with them, to the extent that he even says in verses 6 and 7, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? 
Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. On this Ash Wednesday, the ashes on our foreheads remind us of our kinship, our fellowship with one another in sin and in mortality and also in the cross on which Jesus bore our sin and forgave us. We're reminded of God's decision to become our kin, becoming incarnate man, to take on our sin, our guilt, our everyday struggles, and to reconcile us to himself. In the words of our second lesson, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God becoming man, taking on our sin, and giving us his righteousness is a profound act of solidarity and kinship with us. The cross we received on our foreheads tonight is, as you heard a moment ago, the same sign that we receive in oil at baptism. The ash is a sign of our repentance and reminds us of our mortality. The oil with which it is mixed reminds us that, baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus, we share in God's righteousness and are heirs of everlasting life with him. As a brand tells us who owns cattle, the cross on our heads reminds us that we belong to God. Receiving it, we remember whose life it is that we're living, not our own, because we belong to God. We have been bought with a price, and the life we live is a gift from God. Our practice of Lent, then, should not be motivated by legalism or the desire to outdo one another in repentance and self-denial. That kind of attitude only turns disciplines into idols and detracts from our sense of kinship with God and neighbor. Instead, we walk this 40-day road of repentance and renewal as sisters and brothers, different but together, in the footsteps of Jesus, Son of God, who became our kin. Let's take a moment to pray together. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Tear down the walls of hostility that deceive, divide, and isolate us from our neighbors as if we were no relation. Open our hearts and our hands to them. Create in us clean hearts. Renew in us a right spirit. Cast us not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with a free and willing spirit. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and our brother. Amen.